Okay, uh, this is Numbers chapter 25, which is the subject is the sexual immorality with the Moabite women. So we have some children in, in, in the group today, but that's what the subject is. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a, uh, a very interesting subject that t- is touched on in the New Testament as well. So we're in the, the, t- the tail end of the 40 years or so that the Israelites spent in the wilderness. And this, as, as we mentioned, is we're, we're in the part of Numbers that talks about Balaam. We talked about the, the episode with the donkey two weeks ago, and then last week the four prophecies of Balaam. And as we mentioned, Balaam is significant, his life and his ministry, because Jesus talks about it in Revelation 2, and it's, he's mentioned in 2 Peter and Jude as well. And as we discussed before, Balaam is someone who, as I break down his life, he starts off good, goes bad, almost gets killed by the, the angel of the Lord, and then he repents and is good again. He gives the four prophecies, and then at the end he goes very bad, and we're going to touch, touch on that here. Uh, he becomes very wicked. The... Uh, and that's, that's touched on Numbers 25, and then particularly a little line in Numbers 31, verse 16, that talks about the end of Balaam's life and how he's tied in with this story. Uh, this story that we're going to look at is mentioned, as I said before, by Jesus in, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, but it's also referenced in a very significant way. The story, not, not Balaam's not mentioned, but the story is mentioned in a significant way in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 with tremendous application for us. So Jesus and Paul both assume, if we're, if we're following along with them, that we know this, sto- this, this story from Numbers chapter 25. So we will not disappoint them. We will, we will read the story today. And as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, after talking about this, he said, all these happen, things happened to them, referring to the Israelites in the wilderness, as examples and were written for our admonition on whom the ends of the ages have come. So this story is a story that is, that is really written for us to learn from in Numbers. So I'm going to read Numbers chapter 25. I'm going to read the whole, start off reading the whole chapter. So this is the most important part of the lesson. We're actually going to be reading the Word of God. So I'm going to read the whole chapter. Numbers 25, feel free to follow along. I'm reading from Orthodox Study Bible, which is based on the Septuagint, but I think pretty much all the, all the passages, are, all the versions are going to read about the same. Numbers 25 in verse 1. Now Israel remained at Satin, and the people were defiled. By committing fornication with the daughters of Moab, they invited them to the sacrifices of their idols, and the people ate their sacrifices and worshipped their idols. So Israel consecrated themselves to Baal of Peor, and the Lord was very angry with Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, take all the rulers of the people and make a public example of them. For the Lord, that the anger of the Lord's wrath may be turned away from Israel." So Moses said to the tribes of Israel, Each one of you uh, kill any member of his household who was consecrated to the Baal of Peor. Now behold, a man of the children of Israel came and brought his brother to a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and all the congregation of the children of Israel. And they were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of testimony. 
Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he rose from among the congregation, and taking a spear in his hand, he went after the man of Israel into the chambers and thrust both of them through. The man of Israel and the woman through her womb. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel, but those who died in the plague were 24,000. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, stopped my wrath from among the children of Israel when he was zealous with my zeal among them. So I did not utterly destroy the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace. And there shall be to him and his seed after him a covenant of eternal of an eternal priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Now the name of the man of Israel who was struck down together with the Midianite woman was Zimri, the son of Salu, the ruler of a house of the Simeonite family. The name of the Midianite woman who was struck down by was Cosby, the daughter of Zer, a ruler of the nation of Amoth, of the house uh, of a Midianite family. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Be at enmity with the Midianites and strike them, for they themselves are an enmity with you in their deceit, inasmuch as they dealt treacherously with you in the matter of Peor, and in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of the ruler of Midian, their sister who was struck down in the day of the plague because of Peor. Storyline. The Midianites and the Moabites are both talked about here in this story. They were allied with each other. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was the king of the Midianites. We talked about that earlier in Numbers 22. Uh, the women who pulled the Israelite men into idolatry and fornication are described both as Moabites and Midianites in this chapter. Uh, Baal was a popular pagan god in the Middle East and in Canaan. And the term, it's a general term, it means Lord, and it refers to the most prominent male god of the Canaanites. His consort, Asherah, was a pagan a female goddess associated with the fertility. So the Baal of Peor was the local local uh, uh, form of Baal, the local god of Baal, who was observed in the vicinity of Mount Peor, uh, east of the Jordan River. So this is the local pagan deity. And the worship of Baal could involve human sacrifice, it could involve fornication, or all kinds of other corrupt practices as well. So the Midianite Moabite women are enticing the Israelite men to join in their worship of Baal and participating in the pagan mysteries involved sexual immorality with the women. So the Lord became very angry with the Israelites because of this sin, and he tells Moses to have their leaders make a public example of the offenders. Literally, it says, do this in broad daylight or do it out in the sun where everybody can see it. So he wants an example to be made of the offenders. He calls on the leaders to do that. So uh, in, in the Bible's based on a Masoretic text, it says the people are executed or hung so that all can see them. An Israelite man goes with a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and the whole congregation who were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. 
the Israelite man is identified as Zimri. He's a son of a ruler from the tribe of Simeon. The woman is a daughter of a Midianite ruler. And Phineas, the son of Eliezer. Now, where do we remember where do we run into Eliezer? Eliezer, when Aaron died, Eliezer, his son, was the one who took on his garments and became the high priest after him. So this is the grandson. Phineas is the grandson of Aaron and the son of the current high priest, Eliezer. So he sees what's going on. He sees that they're, they're going off to commit sexual immorality, that they have no regard for what Moses says. He takes a spear in his hand. He follows the two. And then it sounds like he's basically killing them both in the act of adultery. He drives the spear through both of their bodies and kills them. And this stops a plague in which already 24,000 people had died. So uh, now the, the, the back story here, which you don't pick up here, the back story, let's turn to Numbers 31. We'll talk more the implications of this in a future lesson, but I want to at least make the connection for now. In Numbers 31... It speaks about how the Israelites had exacted vengeance on the Midianites just like the Lord told them to at the end of the passage we just read. They go to war against them. The Midianites are defeated. And along with those who were killed, or five kings are killed, along with those who are killed is Balaam. So Balaam dies in this war that they then conduct against the Midianites. And let's read in chapter 31. Starting in verse 13. Then Moses, Eliezer, the priest, and all the rulers of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp. But Moses was angry with the overseers of the armies. This is after the, the war. With the captains over the thousands, the rulers over the hundreds who were coming from the battle line of the war. So Moses said to them, why did you take every female alive? For on account of Balaam's counsel, they were with the sons of Israel and caused them to depart from and despised the Lord's word in the incident of Peor when there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. So what does that tell you about Balaam? So this whole, all this stuff that happened in Numbers 25, Balaam was the one, this, this prophet of God who, was, who issued the incredible prophecies about Jesus in the future, 1,400 years before he was born. So this man goes and tells the, the, the Midianites and the Moabites, if you really want to undo the, the Israelites, use sex and to get them involved in idolatry, and that will be the thing that does them in. So that's, that's how Balaam ended up, and he, he dies, as it says in Numbers 31. So that little line there will give you insight into what Jesus is speaking about in Revelation 2 when he's speaking about the sin of Balaam uh, involving, involving this, this particular incident here. So Balaam was behind that. Let's continue. Uh, the connection between idolatry and sexual immorality. Idolatry in the Bible is the gateway to all kinds of sexual depravity. And this is a battle going on throughout the Old Testament. Idolatry is worshiping a created thing. 
rather than the creator of the universe is worshiping some created thing. So it could be something that's made out of stone or that's carved or made out of metal, but it's something created by the hands of man. And in Romans chapter 1, Paul talks quite a lot of detail about the depravity of mankind, about how it all began with idolatry. Instead of worshiping the creator, the unseen creator of all things, People started making things and worshiping them, and that led to every form of depravity uh, known to man in terms, of, in terms of sexual morality and adultery and uh, sexual deviancy and everything else, and people became completely alienated from God in the process. There's a, pa- a passage in Wisdom of Solomon, which is probably not as familiar as the one in, in Romans. I want to read that. Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 14. If you have uh, Bibles that have that in there, this is the Wisdom of Solomon and Wisdom of Syriac, which we're going to talk about today. This, this building was a you know, church building. It was built in the 1700s, and it was in everybody's Bible back, back when, when people, when this, this church was built for the first 100 years or so. So it was uh, taken out of, of the Protestant Bibles uh, uh, like late 1800s. So uh, Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 13, talks about the stupidity of idolatry. You know, here you're, you're, you're carving this thing, it's a dead object, and you're bowing down, you're asking it for advice about how stupid that is to do that. So it, talk, it talks about the foolishness of idolatry, and then it talks about the depravity that comes as a result of idolatry. Let's start reading in, in verse 22. Wisdom of Solomon, verse 22. So it says, Furthermore, it was not enough for them to be deceived about the knowledge of God. This is people involved in idolatry. But they live in great conflict of ignorance, and they call such evils peace. For they either hold child-murdering rites of initiation, this is child sacrifice, or celebrate secret mysteries, or engage in the frantic revelry of special customs. Moreover, they keep neither life nor marriages pure, but one either kills another in ambush or one causes another grief when he corrupts his marriage. Everything is mixed together, blood and murder, theft and treachery, depravity, unfaithfulness, tumult, perjury, confusion over what's good, ingratitude, corruption and family, breakup of marriages, disorder, adultery, and debauchery. For the worship of idols not to be named is the beginning, cause, and end of every evil. So this is, a, this, this is give you a picture of idolatry wasn't just worshiping an object, but it led into all kinds of moral depravity, murder, destruction of families, adultery, fornication, and, and every form of depravity was tied in with this. So it was really horrible stuff that was going on here. Just a little background. Um, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I mean, there's, there are a couple of massive lessons to learn from this story. One of them Paul talks about. Paul talks about 1 Corinthians 9. This is written to Christians, and he's trying to explain to them what's it going to take for them to make it to the end of their journey. And he talks about this story, actually, in connection with that. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 
starting in verse 24. It says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others I myself should become disqualified. And then he goes into the example of the Exodus story. The story that takes place in, in, in the book of Exodus where the people depart from Egypt, they go through the Red Sea, and they wander through the wilderness on the way to the Promised Land. And he says this is basically a map of the Christian life. This is, this is the whole story is in there. They've got uh, de- depart from the land of slavery, and you have the, uh, you have the baptism. You have people eating and drinking the spiritual food, and you have people falling in the, in the wilderness, and a few who persevere in righteousness make it to the end. So chapter 10 and verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That's a quote from uh, Exodus 32 and the story of the golden calf. Verse 8, Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. That's the story we just read. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples and were written for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands... Take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful who would not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So here in this story here, Paul talks about five things that led to Most of the people who were baptized and ate the spiritual food and drank the spiritual drink, not making it to the promised land. Number one, he says, don't lust after evil things as they also lusted. Number two, don't become idolaters as some of them were. He gives a quote from the story about the the golden calf. Uh, We'll skip over number three, which we're going to focus on. Number four is don't tempt Christ and be destroyed by serpents. That's the story we're familiar with from Numbers 21, where the Jesus referred to where they had to lift up the bronze serpent in the wilderness because they were being killed by snakes. And number five was he says don't complain. We don't think of complaining as that big of a deal. But he says they were complaining, they were murmuring, uh, which they did on plenty of occasions in Exodus and Numbers, So you don't do that. But number three, the one we skipped over here, this is what this particular lesson is about in the story in Numbers 25. Let us not, 
1 Corinthians 10.8, let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day, 23,000 fell. So this mentions sexual immorality in connection with 23,000 dying in one day, which goes back to that story. And you recall in Numbers 25, it says 24,000 died. Here it says 23,000 died in one day. Well, how can that be true? Well, 23,000 died in one day and 1,000 died the next day. That's, that's one possible solution to that. So I don't have a problem with that. So it just says, it says 24,000 died in the first place. In the second place, it says 23,000 died in a single day. Now, the numbers, it's easy to lose track of the numbers here. I want to give you a little perspective on how significant this is. 23, 24,000 people dying. Okay. The biggest tragedy in, in modern American history in this country on September 11th was the attack of four airplanes, two of which came out of Boston, and they flew into the, 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 the Twin Towers, the World Trade Center, and two other places. Okay. How many people died on that day from all three locations? Well, we don't know for sure. The official count is 2,977. So round numbers, 3,000 people died according to the official death count. Okay? 3,000 people. This is 24,000. Give you another example. And that, that long, there's a tremendous, there's a memorial in New York City at the site of this. People talk about this all the time. I'll give you another famous example. December 7th, 1941, which President Roosevelt said is a day that will live in infamy, that was the attack on Pearl Harbor, Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. The death count from that was 2,403 American lives dying in that event. So give a little perspective here, 24,000 people dying. This is 10 times the number of people that were killed in Pearl Harbor, which galvanized an entire nation and brought the United States into World War II. Ten times as many people as Pearl Harbor. Eight times as many people as the September 11th attacks. 3,000 versus 24,000. So, and keep in mind, this is to a small nation of people that have, you know, adult, according to the census, the adult uh, male count was about 600,000. So, uh, huge impact all these people dying as Paul says to teach us a lesson we better learn what that lesson is it costs a lot of lives to teach us and it's one that we should never forget much more significant in terms of its impact than what happened at Pearl Harbor or on 9-11 so the problem was the people got involved in sexual immorality. This is, this is Paul teaching this as a lesson to the Christians. It does, it's not saying, you know, you need to uh, repent of sexual immorality before you become a Christian. He says, you need to make sure, he says, I need to bring my body into subjection so that I, Paul the Apostle, don't get disqualified. Lesson for all of us. Think about the spiritual giants who fell because of this sin, sexual immorality. People who, who, had, who had attained incredible spiritual heights. I think of David, 
David was the man who was selected of his whole nation, a man after God's own heart. He was the only one who had the courage to stand up to Goliath. He was anointed king by God. He is the author of these wonderful psalms that we read and sing all the time in praise of God and in appreciation for God, pouring his heart out for God. And think about what happened with David. Even David, a spiritual giant like that, fell into immorality with Bathsheba and then led to to murder, and it caused tremendous devastation to his life and his family and his kingdom. Second example, King Solomon. Solomon was the man, he was the, he was the, the, the king in the most glorious time in the kingdom of Israel. And he reigned over a time of peace. He had such wisdom that people came from far away to hear the incredible wisdom he had. He had the kind of humility that when God said, ask me for whatever you want, and he said, I just want wisdom to govern your peace, your people wisely. God gave him wisdom and everything else. He had more wisdom than anybody else. When Jesus wants to explain his wisdom in Matthew 12, he says, he says now one greater than Solomon is here. So Jesus, Jesus explained how much spiritual wisdom he possessed. He said, I have even more than Solomon did. So this was a man at the top, the author of most of the Proverbs. And what happened to him? Solomon... Uh, loved the, 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 the pagan women, and that pulled him into having hundreds of wives and, and concubines, and that led him into getting involved in the idolatry in his later years with the wives that he, he took to himself. Samson's another great example. Samson, and he, he fell into sin with uh, Delilah, and that caused all kinds of problems. He lost his eyesight. So he was a, he was a spiritual giant. And he was a man of great power that God used him, but he had a tremendous weakness in this area. Also, the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth, Paul talks about that in First uh, Corinthians 5, 6, 7, about the, the issues with the sin of sexual immorality. And I also think in Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, so remember, this is from, this is from the wisdom that Solomon is passing down to, to his son, to, to young men, and it talks about the woman who leads a man into immorality. This is the prostitute. And it says there, there's one, one of the lines in there, it says that uh, the woman who led people into sexual immorality, those whom she slew are innumerable. Is that there are many, many people that are led down to the path of destruction. Many great people are led down to the path of destruction by this particular sin. Book of Revelation, Jesus is addressing seven churches in Asia Minor, and two of them are infested with this plague of sexual immorality in the church. So it's always been a problem among God's people. It's always been a weakness. I want to just stop and reflect on how serious this sin is, how dangerous it is, and how many admonitions are in the scriptures warning Christians to be vigilant in this area of their life so that they don't get destroyed. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to read a passage from chapter 5, chapter 6. Paul says, I wrote to you my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or idolaters. 
since then you'd have, have, you would need to go out of the world. But now I've written you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous, an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what am I to do with judging those outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. In chapter 6 and verse 18, Paul says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you receive from God, you're not your own, you're bought at a price. Therefore, honor God. Uh, therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. First uh, Peter 2.11, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Uh, One of my favorite passages on this subject here that gives me a very vivid picture is in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 14. Hebrews writer says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. You know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. So Esau was given the choice by his brother Jacob, the deceiver. Esau was, was given the choice. He was famished. His flesh was, was crying out. Would you like a nice bowl of red stew to satisfy your flesh or your birthright? He said, hey, birthright, who cares about that? I just want to satisfy my flesh right now. So he sold his inheritance. He sold his birthright for a mess of stew. Uh, it's, a, it's a classic example of the, of the short-sightedness of Esau, somebody who's living just to please his flesh with no concern about the future as a powerful lesson to us. Uh, I want to, this is a struggle. This has been a struggle from the beginning, and that's why the scriptures are full of admonitions in this area. This is something we need to think about, we need to talk about. We need to be really equipped, examine our lives, and see this sin for what it is. Some things that help me. So he's not, I'm 69 years old. And I'm not done with the race yet. But some things that have really helped me to stay on track over a period of several decades. I want to share them with you. Some very practical things. Um, one thing that really encourages me is what something we just read that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So after laying out these, these stiff warnings about all the people who, whose bodies perished in the wilderness because of sin to teach, to teach us a lesson, in verses 12 and 13, he says, Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. 
No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape, so you may be able to bear it. This is really healthy. It says God is faithful. What does that mean? God is faithful means he always keeps his promises. This is one of the this is the, the bedrock of my spiritual, emotional stability in life. God always keeps his promises. If God tells me something, I gotta make sure I'm not twisting it into something he really didn't mean. But God, I can count on God. He's faithful, he keeps his promises. And then Paul says, He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Okay? You're not going to be put in an impossible situation. He'll provide the way of escape. And you better look for the way of escape so you don't get caught up in the burning building. But there's going to be a way out if, you, if you're serious about it. We will not be tempted beyond what we can bear. God's not asking us to do something that's impossible here. So we don't have an excuse. Uh, that's the other side of it, too. We need to seek it and embrace it. Something else that's really helped me is to see sin for what it really is not for what Satan portrays it. You know, when you go fishing, you have a, you have, you put something on, there's a hook there. Now, no fish is going to bite a hook. So what you do is you put something on the hook that looks tasty to a fish. Maybe it's a worm, maybe it's a, a crayfish or something like that. But it's something that looks like, it looks tasty to a fish, but there's a hook inside. And that's the way it is with sexual immorality. It's, it's, a, it's something that looks good on the outside, but on the inside is deadly. What's behind it all? To see this sin for what it really is, to see the hook that's behind the, the, uh, the entrapment. And one thing is, it's slavery. It's spiritual slavery. This is not freedom. Satan is not your friend. He wants to enslave you. Jesus said in John 8, 34, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 6 as well. In, in Sirach, Wisdom of Sirach 47, 19, there's a great line. It's going through Solomon. It's praising Solomon, but it's also being very even-handed with King Solomon. And there's one line in there that really sticks with me. Sirach uh, 47, 19. So it's addressing Solomon. It says, but you lay down beside women and were enslaved by your body. Your flesh can enslave you. Let's not do that. See sin as slavery and don't let our flesh enslave us. The other thing was the picture of Esau. We've got, we got the picture. You want a little short-term pleasure? The sin will give you some short-term pleasure. But at what price? You're giving up your internal, your eternal inheritance as a result. You're following in the foolish, godless ways of Esau when you make that decision. Uh, another key here to me is avoiding temptation. Okay, that, that's the first thing. I think it was Tertullian said it's easier to kill the cub than the full-grown lion. Okay, let's, let's kill it when it's little at the temptation stage so we don't have to, we don't have to go all the way down the road. Jesus said we need to pray our daily prayer. Okay, give us today our daily bread. You better be praying that one every day, all right? So just, you're just asking for enough bread for today. But he says, lead us not into temptation. We're asking God to not lead us into temptation. And we better be, we better be serious about avoiding temptation too. The temptation is a serious thing. We, we, we want to stay away from temptation as much as we possibly can. 
In Proverbs chapter 5, this is advice regarding how to stay out of fornication and adultery and the discussion about the immoral woman. It says, Therefore hear me now, my children. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Okay? Stay away from temptation. Don't play with it. All right? Stop and think about it. What are the things in your life that are like hanging out by the door of the prostitutes? What are the things that are temptations for you in this area? Okay? Uh, places that you go. Media that you're exposing yourself to, your odds, music you listen to, work or social situations, travel situations. What is it that is the most tempting to you to cause you to be tempted to move further and further down that road? And the internet for a lot of people is, is so easy. It's just a mat matter of a, of a, a click of a finger. To go down, to go down the, the hole to uh, depravity and temptation, serious temptation. Another thing, so just, just being honest with yourself and removing the, the temptation from your life, staying away from it, whatever you need to do. Uh, something that's been helpful to me, Psalm 119 and verses 9 to 11. This is, I'm reading from, this is from the King, uh, King James Version. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Let me not wander from your commandment. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hiding the word of God in your heart. Studying scripture. Memorizing scripture. Meditating on the scripture. Thinking about it over and over again. He says, how can a young man keep his way pure? I think about the example of Jesus. When Jesus himself was tempted by Satan three times in the wilderness after fasting 40 days and 40 nights. His response is, to all three times, it is written, and he just quotes back the word of God, the, the, the powerful sword of the Spirit. So meditating on the word of God, particularly passages that are, that are tied into this particular sin, overcoming it. Uh, confessing sin to a bro trusted brother or sister. Proverbs 28, 13. He who covers his sin will not prosper. Whoever confesses it and forsakes it will find mercy. We need to confess our sin. If you have something on your conscience in this area, let me challenge you right now. Find a trusted brother or sister. Somebody you trust who is a spiritually mature person who can keep a confidence and confess it to somebody that you trust who can help you. Be open and honest. James 5.16, famous passage, confess your trespasses to one another. I mean, it's, confessing our sin to God is good, but the Bible also says we need to confess our, confess our trespasses to one another. So put these things into practice. People who inspire me, it's also helpful. One of the reasons I love studying the Old Testament is I have, in, in the Old Testament, I have heroes. I have people I look up to that I say, yeah, I want to be like that guy when I, when I grow up, okay, when I, when I get older. I don't have much time left here. So I want to be like that. And people who have inspired me over the decades, uh, one of them is Phineas. 
in the area of sexual immorality. He takes the spear and drives it through. He puts it to death, putting sin to death. So, that, so his zeal in doing that has been an inspiration to me. I've kind of burned that image in my mind. Uh, another one is Joseph. Joseph is a young single man, and he's uh, Potiphar's wife is trying to seduce him. And he says, how could I sin against my master, Potiphar, and against God by doing such a wicked thing? So he resists the temptation, and then when she traps him and grabs onto his cloak, he flees. He runs away. In a passage where Paul says, flee sexual immorality, that's the picture in my mind, is Joseph leaving his robe behind and running away because he doesn't want to be tempted. So those are examples to me. Also, Job, Job 31, 1, this is a famous line, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman, uh, or, or something similar to that, depending on what translation. I think I learned that in the NIV years ago. So uh, uh, to, to, to make a decision, there's a reason God gave you eyelids, okay? It's not just to sleep, it's so you can shut your eyes and keep, keep yourself away from sin. So take advantage of them. They're there for a reason, all right? Multiple reasons. Uh, lessons from the incident... At Bala Peor. One of the things that we're talking about this Wednesday night that Tom Kruger actually mentioned, he said, you know, this story is mentioned several places in the Old Testament. So I started taking a look at them. Uh, Deuteronomy 4, Moses is reminded of the contract. Moses reminds the people in Deuteronomy 4, before Moses dies, about the contrast of how the people who, made, who sinned at Peor and the ones who didn't. You know, uh, life and death, basically, to remind them that they need to pay attention to the word of the Lord. In Joshua 22, and Joshua, Phineas here is, is back in, in Joshua when they go into the, to take over the promised land. Phineas warns the two and a half tribes that are going to settle in the east of what's going to happen to them if they, abandon, if they abandon the Lord. And he says, the after effects of the sin of Peor are basically still with us. So there was, there was some, 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 some of the consequences of that sin was still impacting the nation. In Hosea 9, of course, Hosea talks about Israel being unfaithful to God. In the example of the man who's told to marry a prostitute, he says, God says, this is what you're like to me. You're adult, you're an adulterous nation. And uh, there in Hosea, the Israelites are reminded of how they were, they've been unfaithful to the Lord repeatedly throughout their history, including in this incident at Peor, being a classic example. And then let's turn to Psalm 106. Actually, some good things we can learn from uh, this passage here. Psalm 106, or if you're reading in a version that's based on the Septuagint, will be numbered 105. Starting at verse 28. And this is a psalm that's talking about God's mercy. The, the, the people did wicked things, and then God was willing to forgive them. And they turned against God again, he was willing to forgive them. This is about, about God being merciful and showing that through practical examples throughout Old Testament history. In verse 28, this is Psalm 106 in most Bibles, 105 in those based on Septuagint. They were consecrated to Baal Peor and ate sacrifices of the dead. So they provoked him with their ways of living and destruction multiplied among them. Then Phineas stood among them and made atonement and the destruction ceased. And it was reckoned as righteousness to him from generation to generation forever. 
We'll talk more about that a little bit later. I want to. I uh, so there's lessons to learn here about sexual immorality. Don't do it. Don't get involved in it. Stay away from it. 24,000 people died, 23,000 in one day to teach us a lesson. Heed that lesson. There's also lessons from Phineas himself. First question, who is Phineas? And as we already mentioned, Phineas is the son of Eliezer, who was the high priest after Aaron. So he's Aaron's grandson. And uh, think about this. So his two oldest uncles, Nadab and Abihu, were struck dead by God for offering unauthorized fire. So he had, he's, from his youth, there's a lesson about the fear of the Lord, right striking in his own family. That's from Leviticus chapter 10. So 1 Chronicles 5, it talks about the lineage of the high priests, and Phineas, sure enough, was the high priest after his father, uh, after his father Eliezer. So it's, Aaron was the first high priest, Eliezer the second, Phineas was the third, and then really all the other high priests are in a line are descended from, uh, from Phineas. First Chronicles 5, verses 30 to 41. So uh, Phineas, to me, is an inspiring example of someone who boldly dealt with sin in the congregation. And he's even willing to deal with sin that is in a prominent person there. It was, this, this, was a, this was a leader's son who was involved in sin, and he took matters into his own hands and dealt with it in a very forth, forthright way. And that, that's pretty bold to do something like this. And God, God pours out a great blessing to him. He says, now here's someone who's as zealous as I am about, about this. And, and God blesses him with, with the priesthood and he, uh, Phineas and his descendants. But as I look at him doing that, driving the spear through the people involved in sin, uh, it actually reminds me of Jesus. Now, I had a, it was a situation recently where somebody was, uh, I, I, I challenged a, a, a brother on something. I won't go into the details. But, but the pushback from the brother was, you know, the way you're doing that is not exhibiting the meekness of Jesus. I thought, you know, there's a lot of aspects of Jesus. There's a lot of facets of Jesus. And we want to embrace all of them in the appropriate way, in the appropriate balance here. And I think of Jesus in John chapter 2 making a whip of cords and clearing the temple, overturning the, the tables and casting out the money changers. That's Jesus. I think of Jesus in Matthew 23 rebuking scorched earth. You snakes, you brood of vipers, sons of hell. The religious hypocrites of his own day. That's Jesus. I think of Jesus coming back, making an encore appearance in Revelation 2 and 3, addressing the seven churches of Asia. And he has some pretty powerful challenges and rebukes that he issues there. That's Jesus. And I see this characteristic of Jesus in Phineas, and I think the Lord God does as well. He says, you know, the, here's a guy. He has my zeal. Amen. And that's what people said when Jesus cleared the temple. Zeal for his house will, con will, consume, will consume him. It reminded of the, the, the famous prophecy in Psalm 69. 
Jesus was a true peacemaker, and he calls us to be the same. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God in the Sermon on the Mount. A lot of people think being a peacemaker is just being a bland, non-confronted, go-along type person. Okay, And that's not how Jesus was. Right? He treated everybody with love, but with what they needed in the situation here. It wasn't out of personal irritation. Uh, when Jesus was faced with serious sin on the part of religious leaders, uh, he was very bold and confrontive. And I see in him the same spirit of Phineas. And it says that Phineas was given the covenant of peace. I think, how do you get the Nobel Peace Prize for doing that? For, for the, the human shish kebab skewering two people. How do you get the, cov- the eternal covenant of peace for you and all your descendants from that? Well, because he's making peace between God and man. Okay? So I especially want the men to meditate on that aspect of Jesus as we look at all of his characteristics. And, uh, you know, let's not make any tendency, don't give in to the tendency to be cowards or to cover up sin, but to address it boldly. Um, And God blessed Phineas and his descendants with the priesthood for what he did for that act that he did in Numbers chapter 25. We just read it from Psalm 106. I also want to take a look in, in Wisdom of Sirach in verse uh, 45. It's a, a very interesting passage here. It's a lot of great stuff in Sirach. I think anybody who hasn't read it, just, just read it. Whether, whether you consider it inspired or just interesting reading, it's, it's really a, 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 a great blessing to, to read through Sirach. Uh, Sirach 44. He starts off saying, let's praise, you know, not just let's praise God. He said, let's praise honorable men. There have been some really good people who are worthy of praise, who've lived. And let's, let's praise them and lift them up for what they've done, for the wonderful things that they've done. That's not a bad thing. And he talks about the heroes of faith who've gone before. And he even alludes to, he said, you know, there have been some heroic men of faith that no one ever knew about. Their righteousness is known to God alone. So these aren't the only heroic people of faith. But he starts running through the great heroes of faith that we're familiar with in the scripture. He talks about Enoch and Abraham and Noah and, and Moses. And uh, so he's talking about some of the, the all-time greats. He talks about Moses. And then right after Moses, he talks about Phineas. Okay, this example from uh, Numbers 25. So let's read what it says up there about Phineas, which I think is really interesting. Num- uh, Wisdom of Sirach 45:23. Then Phineas, the son of Eleazar, is the third in glory. Now he just talked in 44 about Moses and Aaron. And he talked about the tremendous glory that Aaron had and in the robes that he wore, and also the ministry of sacrifice and atonement that he was was in charge of as the high priest. So he says, Phineas, the son of El- Eliezer, is the third in glory. He, and he was the third high priest, right? When he showed zeal in the fear of the Lord, and he stood fast when the people turned away, by the goodness of the eagerness of his soul, and he made atonement for Israel. Therefore he established a covenant of peace with him to be in charge of the sanctuary and the leader of his people that the priesthood might be with him and his seed forever. A covenant was also established with David, the son of Jesse, from the tribe of Judah, 
The heritage of the king is from son to son only, and the heritage of Aaron is for his seed. May he give you wisdom in your heart to judge his people in righteousness that their good things might not disappear and their glory throughout his generations. So, as I mentioned, Phineas, third in glory, so he's the third, third high priest. He showed zeal in the fear of God and stood fast when the people turned away. So he was a man who had the fear of God. Peter holds up, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Jesus says, fear him who can, who can cast body and soul into hell fire. Don't fear people. He was zealous for the Lord. He stood fast when the people turned away. He was willing to stand alone or stand among the few. He didn't follow the crowd. Uh, in that regard, he was like other heroes of faith. I think of Noah, Job, Joshua, and Caleb, Elijah, the prophets. He made atonement for Israel. So that's an interesting way of making atonement. He's making atonement for Israel by killing the two offenders there and what he did. And he was given a great reward by God for what he did, the covenant of peace to be in charge of the sanctuary. So he was given the high priesthood. And as I read this passage here, I think what he's saying is that just as the, the kingdom was given to David, that all of the kings of Judah will be descended from David, the priesthood was given to Phineas for what he did that all of his descendants, that the priest would be in the hands of all of his descendants. And uh, he created a legacy which would pass down from generation to generation. So, few ch closing challenges. Let's never forget the lessons of Baal Peor in Numbers 25. 24,000 people died to teach us a lesson. Uh, they, all those people were on the journey. They were all part of the church. They'd all been baptized. They're all eating the spiritual food and, and drinking the spiritual drink. But they didn't make it because of the sin of sexual immorality. We've got to be vigilant about that sin in our own lives. I've seen many fall. The man who first preached this lesson to me years ago from Numbers 25, who opened my eyes to the power of this, he fell into this sin himself and is no longer faithful to the Lord. So anybody can fall into this sin. If you think you're standing firm, be careful you don't fall, as Paul said. It may, it's hard to stay on the path, but it's not impossible. God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Make a decision to root this sin out and keep it out of your life. Confess it. Burn these images from the scriptures and your mind. Hold on to the fear of God. This lesson could save you for eternity. And then a special challenge to the brothers in the room. I want to encourage you to be one of the sons of Phineas. The kingdom of God desperately needs men who are like this. When we're called to be members of a royal priesthood, I think of, okay, who is the ultimate priest the one who gave, who was given the, the covenant for all of his seed in the future is Phineas. Okay, the priests are not the academics. They're not the scholars. God didn't give a, a theological quiz to decide who was gonna, who's going to get the priesthood. The quiz that he gave was who's going to stand up for righteousness and who's going to deal with sin even when nobody else wants to. Who's going to do it boldly? Okay. That's the kind of priesthood that God appreciates, that he's looking for. 
Deal, let us deal directly with sin in the camp. Don't be a conflict avoider. Don't be a coward. And don't be a gossip either. Now, this is what I, sometimes this happens, you know, people think that women are more prone to gossip than men. I'm not so sure about that. I've seen plenty of men who gossip as well. And what gossip is rampant when people don't have this spirit of dealing directly and boldly with the sin that's out there that they see. Keep in mind, although 24,000 seems like a big number, the reason only 24,000 died and not everybody, the reason everybody wasn't wiped out is because of what Phineas did who saved the lives of, of, of hundreds of thousands of people. He was a blessing not only to the Israelite nation, but also to his descendants for multiple generations after. Being a man of God doesn't just mean going along with the crowd, falling in line, and not making waves, even in the church. We need to follow the example of Phineas, Proverbs 28.1. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. We need lions in the church to follow the lion of the tribe of Judah. We're locked in a spiritual battle, and we're called to be spiritual warriors. We no longer skewer people with spears. We don't fight with those kind of weapons anymore. We don't physically skewer people. We fight against unseen forces of evil using spiritual weapons of the truth and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And a caution. Okay, now that I've, now that I've, I've pumped up all the brothers in the room, okay, we need, to, we need to follow all the aspects of Jesus, okay? I feel like I've weaponized all the brothers here. Well, you need to temp, we need to temper that. We need, we need to be guided missiles, okay? All right? It needs to be done out of love so you're not a gang a clanging gong, all right? We don't need that. We don't need to be divisive or rash or quick to judge or quick to anger or lacking mercy or wisdom or lacking a forgiving spirit. I'm saying we need to have all of the aspects of Jesus, Amen. okay? And as the older brother in the room, I, I'd also say we need to admonish our older brothers as fathers. So I don't want, I don't, I don't want to get completely obliterated this afternoon for, for things that you see in my life. We need to follow all of the scriptures, but we need to have the heart brothers of Phineas and may the kingdom of God have many more men like him. Amen. Amen.